If you were born between 1969 and 1984, you are a part of the 65 million Gen Xers. And you've just found your new family. Welcome to the Carolina Underground. Gen X perspectives on rapidly changing technology, history, media, politics. How they come together and influence every aspect of daily life. The world we were raised in has ceased to exist, but we haven't. Let's do it. Welcome to the Carolina Underground. Now your hosts, Mark and Mike. Yo, 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 Mark, we're back again on the Carolina Underground. How are you this evening, Mike? Well, I'm alive. You know, I've been um, kind of <clears throat> miscombobulated. Well, what's got you miscombobulated, sir? Spooks and haints. Spooks and haints. And, and scary places. And bump in the slippery bogs. That's right. And, you know, uh, we're from the South, and we have a rich heritage that's steeped in low country um, superstitions and whatnot, like we have alluded to earlier, I think, about the bottles on a tree or the broom on a front porch. Right, right. right. But, you know, it just doesn't have to be things like that at the home. There is actually... I don't want to say verified because I'm not exactly sure you can verify stuff of that nature yet or they're able to verify it, but there have been well-documented places here uh, where things just sometimes just don't add up. Well, I mean, again, there's phenomena that occur. And, and, and interestingly, you know, uh, my, uh, my son around uh, the uh, Halloween season uh, is one of the people that, that runs the ghost tour that runs through my hometown oh okay uh, yeah and there are several uh, haunted uh places now of course uh, the you know the 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 hub city was called the hub city because of the, the train hubs that came through and so there was a whole lot of whole lot of history that happened in this right. place and uh you know and some of it left some sort of a uh, of of well, it, we don't know if it left it or if it was always there to begin with, but there are definitely phenomena that occur. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if we actually talked about that on the air, if that was just one of our conversations where we were having it, where we talked about painting ceilings blue, blue yeah, using yeah, paints yeah. and stuff of that nature. Right. That may have been an offline conversation, actually, because we do well tend been. to have several of those because we that's what we do best. Is run our mouths? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, I'm gonna yeah. set the stage. I'll tell you what. I'll start. I'm gonna pick a location uh, because it's it surprisingly uh, this location's near and dear to my heart. Not that I was around when it was in service, but um, for the simple fact that uh, it's just they have always. I have always been enamored by them, and I wanted to actually join the Navy till they told me that they didn't have them anymore. And then I said, well, then what's the point? <laughs> but I'm also a friend of the battleship, 
um, used to have a license plate, but for some reason, North Carolina got rid of the Friends of the Battleship license plates, or I hadn't been able to find it to renew new, to get another one. But uh, one of the places that is supposedly haunted is our Memorial Museum battleship, the USS North Carolina, that's moored in Wilmington. Well, you know, and that is interesting because, you know, I was, uh, I was in the service and a lot of the older, uh, vessels that were in service in World War II are purported to be honed. Mm-hmm. And again, of course, the, the kind of the, uh, the whole thing that traditionally has been, uh, attributed to honings would be something happening that was very highly emotionally charged right. at some point right. in time. Um, you know, and that's, that's true around the world, such as the, uh, all the suicide forest in Japan. They mm-hmm. talk about that all the time and everything like that. So, yeah, but yeah, the, uh, yeah. So the battleship North Carolina. Right. And, and, well, and, and for pe- for the listeners that don't know the USS North Carolina's nickname is showboat. Um, it's probably one of the most decorated ships from the World War II era. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was actually the first battleship that steamed into Pearl Harbor after the Japanese attack. Um, that I'm not sure about, but I would believe it. I, I believe it was. Uh, the uh, North Carolina has the distinction of being involved in all of the major offensive strikes that the U.S. Navy did in the entire Pacific theater. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was even torpedoed uh, and survived a torpedo strike from a Japanese ship. Um, And I think um, that that, uh, some of the rumors are is somebody was get killed by the torpedo and there have been, I think, uh, some cases to where sailors during battle were washed overboard and lost. And, um, you know, there's just, there are, and I've seen pictures and, you know, you, you chalk it up as to, you know, shadows or figments of your imagination. Or, you know, sometimes you just catch something out of the corner of your eye. And I haven't been to the North, <clears throat> pardon me, I haven't been to North Carolina in a while, but... Uh, I still keep in touch with a lot of the people that are there day to day and stuff like that. I still donate. And, you know, they, um, they're, you know, just there's pictures that have shadows that shouldn't be there. There's, and that's not only reported by the people that work there, it's visitors as well. And there's even been, I think, maybe a handful of professional paranormal investigators like the people that do like ghost shows and stuff like that that have gone on there and then even had um experiences and of course to raise money they capitalize on this and i think every couple every month they have a couple of nights that they're open for the overnight tours um so or ghost hunts on the north carolina Ooh. Well, and, you know, and I, I don't know if I've shared this with you before or not, Mike, but I actually, one of the one of the uh, facilities that I worked at when I was a young man uh, was purported to have been haunted by the founder and uh, owner of that site. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, um, the, you know, the, the, the and I'm not going to call any names because I, I would have to make sure that we had uh, the authority to uh, utilize their names and, and tell their stories right, uh, right. and whatnot. But 
to for broad brushstrokes, uh, the the event that happened to me personally uh, that was I was working as you know in IT we tend to get our the most of our work done when everybody else is at home because then we can actually get on right. the machines without causing a problem. Well, so I was uh, in the manufacturing facility in the wee small hours of the morning. All of, you know, pretty much all of the power was off. All the machines were mm-hmm. off. It was a holiday, so everybody was was going home. And uh, as I was sitting there doing some uh, maintenance on uh, some of the machines out there on the shop floor, um, all of a sudden, you know, all the hair stood up on the back mm-hmm. of my neck, and there was a gentleman standing in a gray flannel sh- suit over my right hand shoulder. Oh my! At which point, I proceeded to uh, jump about three feet up into the air because it scared the daylights out of me and whirled around to tell, you know, to ask him what in the world did he sneak up on me for. Mm-hmm. And as I did, he just faded off. Oh, my. Disappeared. Now, I, I shared that with my uh, supervisor at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was when he, he, he put his hand over his mouth and his eyes got wide. And he, that was when I found out that that facility was supposedly haunted by the owner and founder. Oh, now, that wow. having been said, you know, again, your mind can play tricks on you, and that I don't have any physical evidence of anything like that. But, you know, as we were saying, I mean, in in, uh, in my neck of the woods, we've got, uh, you know, a place called the Carriage House that mm-hmm. is purported to be haunted. Uh, and then, of course, then there's the, the Calpens Battlegrounds, well, uh, too terribly far away. Right, a lot of the battlegrounds you tend to see a lot of. I I have a personal experience, and I don't know if I had shared this with you. Know, I I was not always in the IT industry. I kind of somehow backed into it. I never went out to be in IT, <laughs> but in a previous life, I was in the furniture business, and um, our largest customer was in. Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. And we used to go up to Gettysburg, I'm, I would say probably at least two or three times every couple of months just to visit and make sure everything was good, that everything, all the product they were getting was good. And he, he sold a lot of furniture. Mm-hmm. But he also uh, was telling us stories about things that happened. And, you know, you kind of, like, for example... There was a, down in downtown Gettysburg, you know, there's buildings that still have cannonballs lodged in the buildings. Mm -hmm. They all were used as hospitals or having something to do with housing troops or something of that nature. And this one particular building is actually a museum now. And he had relayed a story that uh, he had had some friends that had come up and were staying in downtown Gettysburg. And they were walking along the street, and they thought it was kind of odd. There was there was a, just a woman in a rocking chair, and they couldn't tell whether she was real or not. And there was candles, and they could look through. It was like see all the way through the back to the back door and all this stuff. And the next morning, they're walking around, and they happen onto the same shop, and it's like a shop a museum type shop and it's part of it's a museum but it has a one of those faux walls so you can't see the back of the building and he said that they had gone in there and was like well you know that that's pretty quick y'all built this in a night he said we were just out here like last night and he said we could see all the way back and described what the door looked like 
and everything. But uh, the owner said, no, he said, that wall's been there for about 45 years. He said, but we get that. He said, either sometimes, it, he said, let me guess. He said, it's either it was either a woman sitting in a rocking chair knitting or reading a letter or something to that effect, or you saw a, soul, a Union soldier in a casket with candles by it. And he said, well, it was, an, it was a woman. And he said, yeah, he said, uh, he said the, the shop, I have no doubt about it, is haunted. And you're seeing whatever manifestation happens to be manifesting at the time. Right, right. And, you know, there's some people, you know, I live in a house that was built uh, in the early 1800s. My house was built, uh, I think, in 1804, give or take a few years. I, we can't really find out because the county I live in did not exist when the house was built. Right. It We predated the county. But, uh, you know, there are times, and I'm not going to say that the house is haunted, but uh, there are times when some things just kind of happen and you just kind of say, hmm, did I really see that or did that really happen? And it's not anything major. I can only think of one event that really happened here. And my wife and I were sitting watching television one night. And I remember it very clearly because it was May the 6th because that was my grandmother's birthday. Well, my grandmother and grandfather had been passed away for several years at that point. And uh, the, the, my mom and her sisters, one year for Christmas, right after they had died, had given all the, the grandchildren a photo in a frame of Granny and Pawpaw standing together. You know, nothing big, just a little four by six picture. And so I had it. And, you know, I live in the home place where Granny and Pawpaw lived. Ended up moving in and taking it over. Well, I had that picture sitting on the wood stove in the den because I don't use that for heating because, A, I'm too lazy to tote in the wood. Well, I take it back. It's not toting in the wood. It's cleaning out the wood stove that tends to just kind of aggravate me. I can understand that. I've got to do that with mine. Yeah. I've been putting it off since uh, sometime when it got started to warm up around February. <laughs> <laughs> But, but sorry, I didn't mean no to worry. you. Go right but, ahead. But we're sitting there, and we're talking about Granny's birthday. And this picture had sat there on the top of that wood stove. And, you know, the, you know, it's not, you know, it's an insert stove. So it's got, you know, like, kind of like a metal plate at the top. I'd say it's probably five or six inches wide or deep. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? From the, heart, yeah. from the brick out to the edge. And that picture had sat there probably for two or three years. And we have the had this great big huge thick. I bet the rug was like four inches thick. It was mm -hmm. One of those heavy duty foreign jobs that you have to get for six easy pays on the QVC. <laughs> and um, so we're sitting there, and we had been talking about Granny's birthday and all this. And that picture didn't fall because it had other pictures were in front of it. It came off and arced up and landed on the floor, and that glass shattered. My goodness. And I have since tried, and I don't know and if the, it was just a cheap frame or what, but I have since tried, and I mean I have forcibly thrown frames with glass in it down on that rug and could not get any of the glass to break because the rug was so thick. 
And then, of course, you do every once in a while get a whiff of tobacco, the smell of tobacco. But I'm not really blaming that on anything that goes bump in the night for the simple fact that my grandmother uh, had told my grandfather she quit smoking. And it just meant that she just didn't do it where he could see it because she just hit them all around the house to where she could sneak and get them. So (laughs) I may just be smelling cigarettes that she didn't get around to smoking at the time. And uh, I had told that story one time before, and somebody asked me, they said, well, I couldn't live there. I couldn't live in a haunted house. And I'm like, well, I'm like, they were alluding to the fact that it should bother me. And I'm like, well, I look at it like this. If the if the house is haunted, the people that are haunting it have lived here longer than I have and their family. So well, you have what it. am I supposed to do with it? Because right here behind me in the studio, in the front window where we do where I do the recording and stuff, my great grandfather, that's where his casket lay when he died, because you know they used to bring them to the house in the old days. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you had that, and well, I don't know if they did it up north, but, you know, down here it was setting up with the dead and stuff like that. You'd have a vigil by the right. casket and all that. And uh, I think Jerry Clower told a famous story about setting up with the dead and a big thunderstorm that come along. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, now, and you know, I mean, just to just to derail for just quite a, a little bit of a minute, I know that's a shock to you. But uh, you know why they did, uh, why, why the, the practice of having a wake started, do you not? I actually do not. Okay, so now one of the interesting things, of course, uh, was the, you know, back in uh, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, uh, people tended to use a lot of pewter, okay? So mm-hmm. pewter plates and pewter mugs, and that's generally what the common folk used. And the uh, pewter contains a certain amount of lead content. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen is when you were drinking alcohol, and people drank an awful lot more back in the olden days than they do now because Mm -hmm. we didn't have... Uh, we didn't have a lot of the modern conveniences uh, in, in, in toothpaste and things like right, that. Right. that you know, so you, you, you usually had bad teeth. A lot of times you had lice in your hair and stuff mm. like that. So you'd, you'd spend a fair amount of your time drinking you know, some kind of wine or something like that. Also because the water was full of parasites, and if you didn't have some alcohol in there to kill the parasites in the water, you'd wind up with you know, something... Like going to Mexico. Exactly. So, the uh, but anyway, people drank an awful lot more uh, alcohol back in those days than they do uh-huh. now. And one of the things that happens when you put alcohol in pewter is it'll leach the lead out of the pewter and into your system. Uh-huh. And, of course, what lead does is it displaces the iron in your bloodstream causing you basically to have a situation or a case of hypoxia. So you're not getting enough oxygen into your brain. If you went out there and seriously tied one on, it would put you into a coma Mm. for a couple of days. Okay. And so they had uh, significant cases of, and this is around the 17, 1800s, as Mm -hmm. as I understand it. And I mean, you know, I had exactly researched it at this moment so i don't want you to hold me to those numbers but at any rate when they would exhume caskets 
for whatever reasons or things like that, they would they found many situations where there were claw marks where people had tried to claw their way out mm-hmm. of the casket. And so they would have a wake for two or three days to see if you were going to wake up from uh, the coma. Uh, if you'd does it's out awake, right. Yeah. And then that's the other thing is what they started doing was they would put a, uh, on freshly buried caskets, they would have a string mm-hmm. to a bell that was inside the casket in case somebody came out and st- they could pull on that string and then it would ring so they would know that there was somebody that had, had Woke uh, up been in. buried that right. should not have been. Right. And that's where you get the term, from what I understand it, dead ringer. Oh, well, hey, that makes well. sense too. So, uh, but with those two little factoids shared with you, and uh, if, it, if I need to, I'll be happy to, 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 to get the citations for you on that. But you sent me, you were good, good enough to send me a list mm-hmm. of a lot of the things that uh, some of the more interesting places in, uh, and of course, in, there's plenty in South Carolina that I could look up as well, mm-hmm. like the, 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 the slave market in Charleston. Right, but right. You sent me a list of these things in, uh, in North Carolina. And th- I think this list is the the list that I was looking at, and actually, I came across it. I can't remember whether it was Our State Magazine, which is a magazine about North Carolina, or Southern Living, but that uh, was just the top ten. I think there's like oh, there's several places across the across the state, and I'm assuming South Carolina as well, to uh, find more i'm almost scared to say the word paranormal but let's just say the unexplained (laughs) well and i mean again that is what paranormal is now you know again it's one of those things where um what you know the, the, the 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 tricky thing about dealing with the paranormal now and again we've talked about the fact that we are christians so by default as a christian we do believe that there is a soul Yes, and a divine spark mm-hmm. that is not part of this earthly body. Okay, was it and you and I such. that were talking where about the guy that was did the research with the tuberculosis patients? Yes, it was, but I am I am one hundred percent certain that we were not on the air when we were doing that. That, that oh. was not a taped conversation. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't be a hundred percent, but I'm in the high ninety. <laughs> But I mean so, that, that that you know I think that if you could point to that as a, that research, and I guess we might as well just go ahead and work talk through it now since I've brought it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was is eighteen hundred in the eighteen hundred mid to late eighteen hundreds? Is that about right? Uh, it was around the turn of the century, and I'm I'm under the impression that it might have been closer to around Civil War era. But okay. you may be correct. I was thinking it was in the 1860s. Well, I don't remember exactly the dates. I knew I knew it was when after I think it was after the Civil War because I think the tuberculosis sanatoriums filled up afterwards, particularly right. predominantly like the what with westward expansion. And stuff, but there was a doctor. I'm assuming he was a doctor. He was a doctor or a researcher or something. And he uh, would go into these sanatoriums and observe the tuberculosis patients. Mm-hmm. And he noticed a phenomenon 
that when one died, even taking into account the air in the lungs, Mm -hmm. that there was a measurable difference in weight of the body after death than before death. Yes, absolutely. And he, his thing was, I guess his hypothesis was that the, what you were actually um, measuring measuring would be the weight of a soul because the soul's no longer in the vessel. So the, while it's in the vessel, obviously it has mass and takes up space. So it's going to have weight because it's going to cause the vessel to weigh. Right. And they went through, I mean, yes. And he did go through a significant amount of effort to ensure that all of the possible um, all of the possible things that could change with the body weight, such as the effluvia, et cetera, mm-hmm. were taken into account and constructed speci- speci- special tables to uh, perform this analysis because it was not a very great amount. Now, I mean, and there's, uh, you know, this is another one of those things that there, there's been tremendous uh, discussion back and forth about the accuracy and whatnot like that. Mm-hmm. Um but even not, you know, even even with all of that withstanding, um, I believe that his research has held pretty stable. But I don't think anyone has ever attempted to reproduce it since. Well, I but think his you're right. entire intent was to prove that a soul that the soul did leave the body. So right. again, you have to, you know, you 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 want to make sure that you're not. Uh, including personal bias in your experiments, but he did, uh, as I as I understand it, he did put forth a tremendous amount of effort towards that end. Now, be that as it may, and I can take on faith the fact that I do believe that 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 there that there is a soul, uh, whether or not that is a measurable quantity is not really requ- it, my my belief does not require that. But that having been said. I have seen, and again, I, one of the other things, I was fortunate enough to stay in the Hotel Minger, and I believe I can call them out because that is one of the, or the Minger Hotel uh-huh. in San Antonio, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, which has the reputation of being the most haunted um, hotel east of the Pecos. Hmm. And um, I, I was there, and I've had some intriguing experiences when I was there as well. But therein lies part of the problem in that it's very difficult for a show that is focused solely on the paranormal to produce content that is exciting enough to entertain viewers, okay? Because, you know, ghosts and goblins and things that go bumpity-bump in the slippery bogs tend not to show up upon request, at least not the ones that are just there for entertainment, let me put it that way. Uh-huh. So uh, now I've heard some intriguing things from you know that have been mentioned previously uh, on other uh, in what media and whatnot that I've I've come across that part of it is that it's disrespectful of the spirits to go in there and just demand for them to show up and you kind of right. have to and again you wouldn't want to show up somewhere that you weren't being respected well so and it, you, it, while you're alive well, why would you want to do it when you're dead well but, and and I think kind of when you and I both being Christians, you mm-hmm. have to be careful what door you open because what you think right. it may be may not be what you end up getting. 
That is exactly right. I heard something very recently that is one of the most in, in, most sage comments that I've ever heard in my life, and that was that the devil answers prayers too. And I never thought about that until I heard it. So you got to be very careful. Uh-huh. What you, and that, of course, one of my favorite phrases is be, be careful what you wish for, for you shall surely receive it. Right. One of the old truisms that I was raised with. But, you know, what I've been thinking here as we were talking is we ought to take a look at some of these because, again, some of them, and we've talked about it before, like, for example, the brown mountain lights. Right, right. Okay. Those tend to show up more frequently at a specific time of the year. Okay. And so my thought process. And I think you said it was fall. Is that right? That's what I that's what I read. Now, again, I haven't really gone in and done a significant amount of research on this. But I thought what we might do just for just for giggles is pick a couple of these, and uh, you and I do some research on them and find okay. out what's going on, and maybe go out and check some of them out, see if we find anything uh, anything of. Uh, now, some of them they're probably not going to let us into, so they're probably not going to let us tramp around the battleship North Carolina. Actually, that is incorrect. After. Well, I'm talking I about am, when you usually see that when you usually are going to run into the spooks is going to be after hours when, yeah. and when it's all quiet. But I am there. a commander level friend of the battleship. <laughs> so, well, then we might be able to pull that off. That's they right. Let some, they wouldn't let a mere mortal like myself. Well, no, they and they do offer friend. a few times a month. <laughs> they do offer nighttime tours. It's actually as okay. a ghost hunt, but uh, we, being a, my problem with it, you know, I'm a big old boy. Mm. The battleship, them corridors and stuff wasn't designed for big old boys. Yeah, we used to call folks like you hatch plugs. Well, that's why <laughs> if I was going to be on the battleship, I would have to have the rank of captain or above <laughs> to stay in the quarters that I could set my fat butt in a chair. Because <laughs> otherwise it ain't happening. Well, and you understand why we called you hatch plug, right? Because you guarantee, I'm going to guarantee you that uh, if I go down any further, I'm going to get stuck. Well, no, the idea was if the, if you started taking on water, you could use the hatch plugs to, 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 to stick in the hatch <laughs> so that the rest of the ship wouldn't flood. Well, that's, at least we have a purpose. <laughs> but you know, let's just give some background on the, on the uh, brown mountain lights. Uh, the brown mountain lights... Um, I think that's up near in the Linville Gorge. Is that right? Correct. Okay, yeah, it's Linville Gorge. Yeah, yeah. and up um, Morganton, North Carolina. Yep. Morganton. Yeah, in actual fact, we just I just had a some just worked with the police department up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know I do know the one of the legends behind it. I can share that because I did actually um read that part, and I have seen um a few things on it in passing on you know like those um what it like ripley believe it or not sir i don't even do they even make those anymore or are we showing our age you know you're showing your age i don't think they've done a ripley's believe it or not since the late 90s well maybe they should bring that back maybe that's why kids today their iqs are dropping (laughs) it could very well be but anyway, of course, what I heard was that was TikTok. But let's uh, well, let's, that's a let's pos- not digress. Well, <laughs> you know they were grilling that Chinese guy up there. It's a wonder everybody didn't have a bot. Well, I was going to say hibachi, but that's Japanese. Hmm. The way they were yelling at him, and I'm going to be honest with you, I can understand 
I don't mean to get sidetracked on this, but I will listen to one guy, and I can understand the gist of what he's trying to ask it, but he just did not have the technical knowledge to ask it, and it would have been better off if he had just kept his mouth shut because he looked like an idiot. Well, therein lies the problem. The vast majority of the people that are in uh, political office have never really held a job outside of politics, and therefore they really don't know very much about what it is they're supposed to be making decisions about, right. and they just have to rely on whatever information they're being fed. Right. So, Good or bad, a, it's up to them to determine which one's the good or bad. Exactly. So, But anyway, a, back, that is a digression. back to our Brown Mountain Lights. Um, yes, sir. The, from my understanding, the leading theory because that is indian territory up that way yes. or was mm-hmm. traditionally indian territory mm-hmm. and uh that i believe the cherokee hold that it is um they had a battle with the catawba indians in around 1200 yeah. and they explained the lights as the wives of the braves that fell in battle looking for their husbands right yep and then, of course, you know, you and I have talked many times about different various scenarios and stuff. But I will say this. I don't mind ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. But I ain't going to do it in the dark. All righty. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a bit more of a challenge, but we might have to see. What well, I don't do. see lights as being a ghost. Well, and that's it. The other thing, the you know, for the for for those that may not be familiar with the Brown Mountain Lights, what they are is now in they there's a similar phenomena in um, Scotland, as I mm-hmm. recall, that they refer to as the Will of the Wisp. Okay, but these are orbs of light that appear, and you can go, you can see them, and mm-hmm. you can walk toward them, and if you get to within a you know, if you keep walking toward them in a certain point they'll disappear and then appear behind you. And Hmm. so there's things that uh, people have referred to them as swamp gas, all sorts of other things. Now, the next, my question would be, you traditionally don't have swamps in the mountains. That's true, but you never know. Well, that uh, is true. You know, and And and, well, I mean, one of the places you, one of the places that you mentioned was the great dismal swamp. And of course there's the dismal forest as well, where, Mm -hmm. You know, people uh, have a tendency to disappear if they wander into there. But now, that's, that's uh, but you're not going to get the the effects of the dismal swamp and and the Brown Mountain because that's in a long Gorge, way. No. Right, that's a long. <laughs> it's about about seven eight hours. Right, right, right. Um, well, but go ahead. I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, while you're regaining your train of thought, because we were talking about oh, going. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. Go ahead. You know, it kind of reminds me. You know, here recently, you know, I I only watch television on Tuesday nights, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I watch one show. We've been digging for this gold for ten years, and sooner or later, we're going to find it. Uh, it would be Oak Island. Yeah, right? I love my Oak Island. I love Rick and Marty and uh, Gary and. Craig and all those guys. I've been watching them so long now. I feel like we're family. That I've been working right <laughs> along there with them. But uh, there, there was a show that they came on after that, and I think they still make new episodes of it. I think it's in the Oak Island off season, and I did catch a f- couple of episodes of it. It's talking about Skinwalker Ranch out in Utah, right? Absolutely. And and the way they were describing is some of the phenomenon that they have noticed and seen. 
And I think historically that they have seen around Skinwalker Ranch, especially along the Mesa, is light similar to this at the Brown at Brown Mountain. But it's not to where you walk toward them and they pop behind you. It's just they're popping up at various places on the Mesa. Right. And, and that's my understanding about the brown mountain lights is that they're stationary. I mean, you feel like you could run up and grab them. And, mm-hmm. and again, this is from uh, the stories my grandmother used to tell me about it, that if you got up to the point where it appeared that you were getting close to where it was, it would pop up and appear behind you. Now, again, I, you know, I, I don't know what might cause that but i'm Uh sure you know that there may be some meteorological explanation or you know some explanation within physics that that makes it make sense but i wouldn't mind going up there and checking that out so but my point being we could check out some of these things do a little bit more research Uh digging into them to see because the first one i wanted to take on was the brown mountain light Uh then i found out that your best chance of seeing them is not this time of year. Well, hey, so that's even better because I'm fat and I don't like going out in the summertime, so the fall <laughs> is good for me. But we can check on some of these others and see if we can find some of them. As long as I got air conditioning. Well, there you go. That we might be able to uh, might be able to get some. We can do field, some evidence. We can take the Carolina Underground podcast field trips. Yes, sir. Maybe Absolutely. we could include that rascal buttercream and. Tell him we forgot our wallets and let him pay for it. <laughs> well, good luck on that one. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lay odds on that. <laughs> I, well, and just just for our edification here, I uh, googled Brown Mountain Lights. Okay, mm-hmm. and it says one of the things that this is interesting that even the university up in that area is in Boone is Appalachian State. Mm-hmm. And they actually have installed low light cameras on rooftops that overlook Brown Mountain. And that uh, by the year 2014, those cameras had produced over 6,300 viewing hours worth of data. My goodness. But have not caught the lights yet. Have not caught the lights yet. Yeah, it says Appalachian State University installed two low-light cameras on rooftops that overlook Brown Mountain and Linville Gorge. By 2014, these cameras have produced 6,300 viewing hours worth of data without any unexplainable lights being recorded. That is intriguing. Now, what I wonder, in addition to that, have there been any sightings since that has now that you know that's a, a good question. question well let's let's see what if our friend google says anything about that if i can spell <laughs> well now that could be a problem we are in the south well you know well and and you know, i'm using an <laughs> apple so spell check kind of makes words appear uh that ain't really supposed to be there well, yeah, that, and yeah, just like uh, the spell check on my phone has a tendency to, to come up with, create phrases that are, are actually phrases I would never use. Let's see here. Crude. Evidently, National Geographic has caught them. Huh. And there's a picture here that Ed Phelps, we're just going to have to do some more research on this, and I think a couple of them, because, you know, there's a lot of, 
you know, it, it, I think maybe we, we should touch on stuff like, you know, where we did the painting of the ceilings and the broom on the porch and the bottles on a tree and stuff like that. But, um, because now I'm kind of interested to know whether, you know, if anybody has seen anything, when the last time somebody saw anything was. No, absolutely. That's that's immediately my thought as well. And again, unexplainable. I mean, lots of things can be explained, you know, and some mm-hmm. of them can be explained accurately. Some of them can be explained inaccurately. But again, and this is one of the things, again, for example, with the paranormal investigators, a lot of these folks will use... Uh, now, wait a minute. I want to ask you a question. I don't mean yes, to interrupt, sir. but I'm going to ask you a question. All right. Is the reason you're so enamored with this about the Brown Mountain Lights is that they were in an episode of the X-Files? No, that is not uh, okay. not why. I was, no, I was enamored with them because that was one of the stories my grandmother used to tell me. Now, the other one that does... All right, well, I'm going to tell you, though. Yeah. She was cute. Oh, Scully. Scully was hot. Oh, yeah. Yes, she was. I didn't care but, much for Mulder, but Scully. Oh, uh, yeah. She could get you. But one of the, again, one of the other things that you got there would be Teach's Hole. Now, I'm assuming yep. Teach's Hole being on Ocracoke Island, that would be Edward Teach. Edward Teach, Blackbeard, yes. Yes, Blackbeard. Yep. Okay, yeah, that one, Blackbeard was another one of uh, one of my favorite, uh, my, my grandmother's favorite tales mm-hmm. to tell me when I was Well, I, there's another story I heard, because, you know, um, Blackbeard's synonymous with North Carolina. Oh, absolutely. And they have, he died right off the coast of North Carolina, and supposedly, after they cut off his head, he swam around the ship five or six times before the body sank. Maybe three. Yeah. We kind of raise him up to a legend status now and then. But, uh, because, you know, he, it's, um, there are, I have read some reports of uh, the, where they have ghostal, go, I don't know if it's ghostal, but spectral sightings of the actual Queen Anne's mm-hmm. revenge actually at full sail at times, certain times of the year in that area that people mm-hmm. have seen. And it you can tell it's the Queen Anne's revenge but uh, we all know that uh, it met an untimely, watery grave because the state of North Carolina or the university system spent an ungodly amount of money to raise part of it and right. catalog yeah. it and all that stuff. They, you know, I was going to say that they, they, they did find her. Now, yep. and again, the thing about the thing about the pirate treasure that most folks don't. Uh, realize is that a vast a vast amount of pirate treasure was rum and molasses mm-hmm. because that was much easier to transport than gold and silver. silver. And of course, you could get all the gold and silver you wanted if you had enough rum and molasses. So, well, I um, have I can personally I have actually been to Teach's Hole before. Really, I have okay. been there. Uh, we all used right. to go to the Outer Banks every year around thanksgiving and uh we i got to where i would go down at some points and stay the whole month of november and ocracoke is a really interesting island because you know they've got the wild ponies or the wild horses and all that because you know the outer banks i guess are famous for that but uh, Mm um it's kind of interesting but uh i would i i was not really i had been there but i was not interested in 
the probability of mm-hmm. things of paranormal like paranormal activity. activity. Yeah. I was more interested in why an apple pie down there costs twenty five dollars for a <laughs> apple pie. Right. Did I tell well, you that story? To, it's hard to get an apple to grow in sand. Well, I will tell you. I'll tell you that story as we wrap up, and we'll mm-hmm. plan on doing some more of these in the near future. But we okay. had my one of the first uh, as an adult. One of the first times I went down there, uh, it was close to. Uh, we went down there probably the week before Thanksgiving, and it was getting close to Thanksgiving, and. We went to a barbecue restaurant, right? I think it was in either it was either in Hatteras proper or maybe it was Duck or something like that. But it was a barbecue restaurant. And down here, I know I know they were big up in the Midwest. I don't know if they were big anywhere else, but we used to have a restaurant chain called Perkins. Mm-hmm. And you know, they were famous for like their chocolate silk pies, apple pies. You know, it's kind of like a Shoney's, but they had a big dessert counter, big old muffins. You know, that's, you know, it's for big old boys to grow up big and strong, you know. Okay. So we're down here and we're down there. And I learned the hard way you don't drink the water at the Outer Banks. You don't even, you don't drink tea, you don't drink coffee, you don't drink anything unless it's bottled and you bring it with you. But we're at this barbecue place and they have this beautiful apple pie. And, you know, it's sitting there under the glass and all that stuff. And it's got the beautiful lattice crust work. Mm-hmm. And it's got little frilly, swirly things on it. And I was like, that is just a pretty apple pie. I would like to have that apple pie. Mm-hmm. And I asked that woman, I said, well, how much? And this is like this is like in the 90s. This isn't like recently. I'd hate to mm-hmm. see what they cost now. So I asked, I said, "How much? Like, I want the apple pie. So she got it out and she rung it up and it's like, and of course, obviously I'm paying for everybody and I get the bill and I get to looking and I said, man, we ate like hogs tonight. That was high. And I got to looking at the receipt and that dad blame apple pie was twenty five ninety nine. My goodness. And I looked at her, I said, don't y'all think that's awful high for an apple pie? I said, you can get them for seven ninety nine at Perkins. Mm-hmm. And this heifer looked at me and said, "Well, if you can find a Perkins, you're more than welcome to go buy one." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "You're right. I forgot where I was at. I'm gonna shut up and take the apple pie." <laughs> well, and that reminds me of a tale that was told to me when I was a young boy, and it was by one of my grandfather's best friends. And mm-hmm. He held out a pocket watch and he said, "Well, how much do you think this is worth?" I can't remember what I said, probably, you know, $25, $30 or something like mm-hmm. that. He said, no, this is worth exactly what you are willing to pay me for it at this moment in time. And that's an interesting phrase because, again, that's it's, it's all about supply and demand. That was an right. e- a lesson in economics that I received as a young boy. But, again, you know, we all perceive value differently. And that apple pie, when you want a slice of apple pie, and it's the only apple pie for 30 miles, that apple pie is worth the $30 if you were that much in hankering for an apple pie. But And it, and I in, was a hankering for it, too. There you go. So, at any rate, well, did, I don't want to digress did, into that. It did make me do one thing. And what's that? I didn't share it on Thanksgiving dinner. I ate that rascal in secret by myself. <laughs> 
I had sweet dreams with that under my pillow. I imagine so. <laughs> anyway, with the apple pie, that's the snout to the curly tail and everything in between. And we'll catch you next week on the Carolina Underground. You've been listening to the Carolina Underground. Our passion is to talk about technology, history, media, politics, and how it's all changed over the years and affects our daily life as Gen Xers. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Twitter at CarolinaUNDGRND. Hit the website at www.thecarolinaunderground.com. And if you've got questions or comments, send an email to info at thecarolinaunderground.com. Stay Gen X strong. See you next time on the Carolina Underground.